John chapter 4, verses 4 through 26. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground, plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me, these wa- give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What have you just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Good morning, guys. Welcome to New Mercy. And I uh, just want to say we really, really uh, are grateful that you're able to join us today and that you're able to come worship with us, uh, especially on a Sunday, typically at 9 o'clock in the morning. It gets pretty uh, exhausting to wake up from the, all the weekend funds that we've had. And we, again, we really do thank you that you guys are able to come, um, especially this past, uh, this, this past summer or this summer as we go, are going through it. Um, uh, we're preaching a lot of these standalone sermons. We're not going through uh, sermon series at the moment. We'll be going into one sooner, um, soon after the retreat. But the past few sermons have not been part of a sermon series. Um, given that summer, you know, you guys just want to keep it more relaxed, and uh, summer tends to be a little bit more slower. So the pastors thought it might be best uh, to preach from the heart during that summer, uh, during the summer. And so the pastors asked me to preach recently. Uh, they asked me recently to if I would like to preach. And I was like, yeah, definitely. I would love to preach. And they told me you could 
just preach whatever you want. <laughs> and uh, they said, whatever you, that comes from the heart, just preach it and just let it out. And instinctively, when I heard that, I was like, oh, my goodness, uh, that's awesome. But at the same time, there's so many things I want to preach about. But um, the one thing that stuck out to me uh, when I thought of it, instinctively, what I thought when I heard the words preach from the heart, uh, I thought of the Gospel of John. Um, the Gospel of John is actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, after studying it for, uh, in college and in seminary for like seven years, like I've really come to understand the the sheer depth of the, uh, the Gospel of John. And even from a literary standpoint, like a purely a literary standpoint, the, the literary devices and everything just it's just phenomenal. Whoever wrote this Gospel, it, that person's a genius. genius. And so it's so beautiful in that there's so much that we can learn from it um, and that we're able to just see the beauty behind the text. In fact, um, one of our great uh, theologians of the, of the early church, uh, his name is St. Augustine, uh, he once said that the Gospel of John is deep enough for an elephant to swim in it, but yet at the same time, it's shallow enough for a child not to drown in it to actually play in the water. Um, and so the Gospel of John has always carried that sense of allure and this deepness whenever I found myself reading its passages. And if you look closely enough, uh, including this passage, um, if you were to look closely at the Gospel of John in its entirety, you'll, cl- you'll quickly find uh, that the theme of water, it's a pretty common theme through and through the entire Bible uh, throughout the entire um, gospel. And even when we look at the first miracle that Jesus does, and this is what got me hooked, is that um, the first miracle that's reported in the gospel of John is when Jesus turns water into wine uh, to honor his great friend. And so I was like, oh my goodness, Jesus knows how to party. And this is a great time for me. I, this is a God I'm starting to like a little bit more. <laughs> but even in this passage today, uh, when we look at John chapter 4, um, many times we think of the, the latter portion of the text where uh, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman that ultimately God is looking for a people to worship him uh, in spirit and in truth. But we forget why Jesus and the Samaritan woman are talking in the first place. Uh, if you look a few verses earlier, Jesus and his, his disciples were uh, walking from Judea to Galilee. And it's a rather long walk. I think if I recall from the commentaries, it says about like a three-day walk, a trek. So, uh, and, and that would be the quickest way to Galilee. And so uh, as they're going, they come across um, a, a town. And so... Uh, he and his disciples decide to stop by and to grab a drink of water. It's, it's really hot. It's, it's 12 o'clock, you know, in Samaria. And Jesus tells his disciples, hey, buddies, guys, look, um, we're running out of food, and we're really, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little thirsty. Uh, let's, can you guys go find some food and you know, go search for some food because um, we're famished? And, um, and so the disciples go, and Jesus looks around, and he ends up seeing the Samaritan woman uh, who is drawing water from a well alone uh, during the hottest part of the day. Um, the hottest part is when it's high noon, when the sun's beaming from above. So it's, it's not fun. I've been to Israel before, and man, does it really get hot. Um, and so you don't want to be there. And the thing is, typically, 
people who draw water from at the well, um, you don't do it at noon. You usually do it when it's the sun is coming up in the morning or when the sun is setting down in the evening because you don't want to be in the sun. You want to be in the shade. And additionally, um, for those who know, uh, wells were incredibly tough to come by in the ancient Near East. Uh, if you guys see the geography, it's a very dry place. And so likewise, it's very tough to find water. And as it is tough to find water, um, as it is a super dry place, uh, the ability to locate water and to dig through all of the messy dirt and the sand uh, to get to the water is an incredibly tough task to do as well. And so, in fact, many civilizations during that time were formed around wells uh, so that they are able to find running, living water so that they may continue uh, to survive. And the funny thing is, uh, this well that they meet at is a place that's commemorated uh, for Jacob and it's known as Jacob's Well, which is very fitting to uh, Pastor Key's uh, passages um, last week and uh, next week as well. But um, yeah, so going back to the story, uh, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, um, who happens to have a pretty big secret. Well, a secret uh, not for you and me, because we know and we have heard the story just being read out loud, but for those who are in the narrative uh, to the disciples and Jesus, uh, they are unaware that she has been ostracized by her community um, because of something, right? Why else would she be there in the high noon when everyone goes in the morning and the evening? And so Jesus, being uh, the keen person that he is, uh, he asks for water while uh, indirectly asking, why are you here at noon? Uh, unless it's something really urgent for you to get water. And soon enough, you know, the conversation turns and Jesus uh, turns to the matter at hand. That the woman is holding back the fact that she has had five husbands, which is completely absurd, but what is more absurd it's the fact that the one that she is living with now is not her husband. I'm sure um, it'll basically turn some heads if you think about that number. Um, but at the same time, uh, the woman, she's like, yeah, you got me. Like, what more do you want to know about me? Or what more do you know of me? And, uh, you know, surprised by his insight, the Samaritan woman acknowledges, hey, like, you got me, but... Like, are you a pastor? Are you a prophet? Um, because, uh, because, and she tries to change the subject matter by asking the fact, are you a prophet? Uh, stop talking about me. Let's talk about you. And so basically acknowledges that he's a prophet and changes the subject. But Jesus being who he is, uh, he returns back to the subject at hand. And he prods deeper um, into who she is as a person. And at the end of the conversation, uh, Jesus, he offers her this living water so that she may no longer be thirsty. And uh, she, at first, she, doesn't, she misunderstands what he, he's talking about. But as he talks more and more and more, uh, she comes to realize what this living water is. And uh, thinking about secrets and baggages and all the things that go on in life, uh, there's this one interesting thing to note about our secrets um, is that in our inferiority complexes that we have, is that it's a simple fact 
that we try to cover up our secrets and our baggages and our insecurities. And unfortunately for us, we try really hard at doing this, trying to cover it up as if we are okay. But unfortunately, uh, we as human beings, we're very sharp people. We know uh, when another person tries to compensate for something that they lack. Or try to uh, work extra hard to cover up their quote-unquote deficiencies. Um, for example, I know when someone's insecure, they, they would look at, they would often, and I would do this too, they would often look at other people and point out uh, their flaws. And it's like, oh, this person is blah, 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 you know. And it's because you don't want the intention to yourself. Or that that is the very thing that you're lacking, that you pointed out another person. Or when a person tends to brag a lot, you know, they're trying to compensate for something um, because they could lack uh, this, this need to be affirmed, you know. Uh, in fact, I remember the story uh, that my friend shared, his testimony, uh, while we were back in college, and it struck me a lot. Um, my friend, he grew up in a single-parent home uh, in the inner city of Boston, and we went to college together. And, um, yeah, so he was without a father until much later when his mother ended up marrying somebody else. And... Um, even though he uh, he had a stepfather, they were not really close. So there was always a sense of, um, yeah, so there was always a sense of lack of a father figure in his life. And so basically he was sharing and that growing up, since he never met his biological father, he never really knew what it meant to be a man. Uh, to him, growing up with friends in the inner city of Boston, uh, to him, being a man meant... Uh, being a guy who slept around with girls an awful lot. Uh, that was manhood to him and, the re- and to the rest of his friends. And ultimately, uh, that was his understanding as he grew up and as he went to college. And that's the way he acted out. Uh, it was his way of validating the fact that he has become a man because his father has never taught him how to become one. And so my friend would share that this was his way of becoming a man, being macho, you know, or buying gifts for girls, and ultimately, uh, essentially being a womanizer. And as time went on, uh, he did realize, and he did mention that something was lacking in his life, and that he was missing the acknowledgement and validation from his biological father that he has finally grown up and became a man. And so he carried that with him uh, all throughout college. And so this entire act, as if we lack nothing, it's not entirely enjoyable. In fact, it is incredibly burdensome. Uh, Thinking about that, I realized this a lot about myself too, um, especially in regards to dealing with prestige and things that I could never be able to attain in my life or in my lifetime. Uh, Recently, I've had this terrible obsession with two things. Uh, One is, as everyone probably knows, cameras. I love cameras. And uh, the cameras I want are things that I cannot cannot and will not ever be able to afford. But secondly, um, I've come to really enjoy, not uh, really come to enjoy looking at nice, fine, mechanical watches. And I'm not like talking about Rolexes here. I know Rolex is a great brand and everything, but I'm talking about things that companies that I can't even pronounce. You know, these are brand names that 
you know it's good because you can't pronounce it properly. It's like, is it Patek Philippe or Patek Philippe? You know, it's like all these little things that make a big difference of how you are um, perceived. And so um, I remember that, uh, yeah, that I saw this, this, this Patek, uh, Patek um, chronograph watch. I was just in the area and uh, in New York City, and I was like, oh, I got to stop by a watch store. And I saw this watch, and it was utterly beautiful. Um, just talk about fo- function and form being uh, meeting at the most perfect sense in the most perfect way. And to see that all the little mechanical things needed to be done, all done by hand, so that you don't need a battery for the watch to run. And to see the second-hand dial glide through the dial of the face of the, uh, of, of the watch, it's, it's beautiful. And, um, but at the same time, it's crazy to me to see that these watches could easily go six or seven figures deep um, and that, you know, I could never be able to afford such nice things. And so these watches, it's in the, within that own little world, um, but it's so fascinating to look at. Uh, but I've come to, but I have to come to the fact and the reality that, hey, Van, you know, uh, you're a pastor, and so you'll probably never be able to make that much. Maybe in your lifespan, you might not even make enough to cover one of those watches. Um, But of course, you know, owning these things are not a bad thing. It's it's not a bad thing to own such things. Um, It's just, for me, it it becomes a tricky thing because I see myself obsess over it because, uh, one, I can't afford it, but two, I think more importantly, I've come to, uh, to realize that I have this desire um, and I, that I want these things because they function more as a status symbol. I remember growing up uh, about five, uh, I, 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 yeah, I remember even like five, six years ago when the first iPhone came out. Uh, I would go crazy for it, looking for it, trying to find it on the Apple store, the, the AT&T store, and, uh, because I wanted the affirmation, and I wanted to own it because it gives me the affirmation that I am this hip guy or this trendy person because I have the latest and greatest gadget, or even when it comes to like fashion, wearing jeans that you don't wash for a whole year or two because you want to get those sick fades in, um, you know, it, it's 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 so absurd, like, what I think and what I perceive as being cultured or being affirmed as a guy who knows certain niches or niches of of things, you know. And um, all of these little micro-affirmations of who I am, of being trendy, and that I'm somewhat relevant, really became my my love and my, my obsession. And it doesn't help that I work in an industry where they do encourage and enable you to just move on and to wear nice things, you know. And so it's it's like a it's a really bad thing <laughs> uh, for me, but I, I guess I have to deal with it, and that's something I've been trying to deal with as well and to really be okay with it, uh, because at the end it's Christ that gives all, and it's Christ that gives us all of that we, that we need. Um, so. Uh, yeah, so as I think about all these micro, all these little workings I have to do to get these micro affirmations, I've come to realize, um, yeah, I do want to look strong. I do want to look like I have it all. Um, but at the end, um, I realize that there is this relentless 
burden that continually weighs me down. And it's entirely not fun. And the more I think about this, um, and I think about our problems, especially in regards to the woman, the Samaritan woman, um, I've come to realize that there's this common denominator to most, if not all, of our insecurities and our baggages. Uh, That there is this fundamental truth and this desire, this insatiable desire for us to be acknowledged, whether it be through the means of uh, pride or respect or being loved. And I know uh, many of us in this congregation could resonate with that. Um, We are always searching for that person to give us all of our life's meaning. And that allows us to be completely abandoned to another person. Yeah, so uh, it shows our human condition of being desired and wanted. But at the same time, uh, when we see this biblical passage, uh, we see Jesus and he acknowledges the Samaritan woman as who she truly is. And she, he shows her both the good and the bad. Uh, we also see that God offers uh, himself to her so that she may never thirst again. And that he will fulfill all of her desires of being wanted, that she will no longer need uh, to continually search uh, for man or a man after another man after another man. Because Jesus is all that she needs. Um, Tim Keller, he once said that, uh, that we don't realize that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. And it's funny to think that at times as we go through life with our hurts and our insecurities dragging us down, um, that Christ, he calls us to drop such things and draw from his well. And rest in his presence. But also, uh, looking at this passage today, uh, and as we see the imagery of a well, um, the thing that comes to mind, and if we were to take the imagery of of the well figuratively, um, beneath all the dirt, uh, beneath all the dirt, the, the messy parts of our lives, is this living water, of Christ. And in order for us to get to this living water, uh, this living water of Christ, we have to go and dig through the dirt. That is the messy parts of our lives. Um, but, uh, and look, I don't want to sound as if you know, we, uh, we need to go through the dirt in order to get to the water, but the more and more we do it, the more as we go through, uh, dig through our hurts and our past, we see the love of Christ and the, the water, the living water gush up more to surround us that we may be able to just swim peacefully um, in his grace. And so uh, as I think about that, I realize that um, that is what God offers us. But at the same time, to go through the dirt and go through the, uh, the messy parts of our lives uh, that experience itself doesn't seem so fun either. I mean, think about it. Uh, we hate getting dirty, uh, especially uh, when we have to go through dirty things. Um, if we have to go through the garbage can to find something, we hate it. We f- hate feeling filthy. 
I have to shower every day. If I don't, I just feel gross, and I just don't feel comfortable sleeping in my own bed. Um, likewise, um, even for myself, like I dreaded the times when my father, he asked me, uh, can you help me with some gardening work or help me clean out the garage? You know, it's filthy out there. And it's like you see all the little dirt and the dirt gets in between your fingers. It's not fun. And then you have to wipe yourself afterwards and clean yourself. It's, it's not that fun, you know. But, um, yeah, at the same time, uh, I remember that, uh, thinking about that uh, experience. I remember the scene. It's a comical scene uh, on a TV show where uh, these people were gardening, right, and uh, asked this wealthy woman uh, who owns the home of the person that they're doing gardening work for to lend them a quick hand with something, just uh, transfer one, one fl- pot of flour to, the other, uh, to another spot. And her response was so comical. Uh, she basically uh, looked straight at them, and then she looked straight at her hands, and she goes, these hands... These hands went to college, and this, these hands went to college. These hands majored in English. <laughs> these are not farm hands. And so, uh, and like I completely resonate with that because the more I think about myself and how absurd I could be, uh, you know, the more I realize that I tend to become this princess Dan who, who wants to break, who does not want to break any sweat or stain any article of clothes that I have because I am of the highbrow cr- crowd and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I realize, uh, going back to the example, that the woman's, uh, th- that the workers, they just look up at her and it's like, you got to be kidding me. Um, but the woman, uh, as the scene goes on, she just looks up sticks her nose up and she continues walks away and it just shows you know there there's this uh what is it yeah there is this comical way of seeing the fact that we don't like getting dirty and that we have this human tendency that the messy and gross things that we see uh, makes us convulse or we just don't want to associate ourselves with that if anything uh, we would prefer that someone else uh, we'll do the heavy lifting and the garbage work. Um, but it is at that process that we didn't, uh, that, but it is in that process of going through the dirt that not only do we find it necessary to go through it, um, but at the same time, it gives life meaning. It gives life purpose and finds life rewarding. And it is in this process through the messy parts, of uh, digging through the messy parts of our lives that we may be able to uh, find the, exact, the same exact living water that Christ offers the Samaritan woman. And that living water enables us to dig through the dirt more and more as the water continually gushes up and, and surrounds us in his love. In fact, you know, the, water, the motif of the, the, the theme of water is so prevalently found in the Gospel of John. In fact, uh, and one of the last narratives in the Gospel of John, John chapter 19, is when Jesus is hanging on the cross and the Roman soldier comes by to make sure that Jesus is dead or to make sure that he dies quickly uh, because a storm is coming. So he comes by with a spear and he pierces Jesus at his side. And it's the very side that Thomas is asked by Jesus asked after he's resurrected to come, touch touch the scar. 
Um, but as we see that the soldier pierces uh, Jesus, Jesus and, at his side, um, we don't see only blood come out, but we also see water burst forth. Uh, scientifically speaking, for such a thing to happen, it's very possible. In fact, it's called a pericardial sac. Uh, that's around the heart. And if it's pierced, uh, you can have this watery substance come out. But in addition to that, um, the Gospel of John takes this incident very symbolically, and it takes it one step further. Uh, if I recall correctly as well, this incident is only found in the Gospel of John and not in the other Gospels. Uh, it provides a very fitting climax of the living water motif in the Gospel as uh, it shows that Jesus is that living water that comes out. And John chapter 7 talks about that living water, that he offers that living water after he is glorified. And that living water is the Holy Spirit, the great counselor. And that that is the fulfillment of his promises. You see, water in the Gospel of John is not just water, as you have seen throughout the sermon so far. But it symbolizes that the living water that Christ promises is also found after his death. And he calls us to come and draw from his well and to drink from it. And that we may be able to dwell and lie peacefully in his rivers of grace. And may you find peace knowing that Christ is offering you that same exact water as he did to the Samaritan woman. And may our attitude be like the Samaritan woman where she asks, Sir, give me this drink or give me this water. Guys, let us come and draw from this well. But at the same time, uh, we must not deceive ourselves that this picture, this is the only picture of God, and that that is all there is of Him. In fact, I think many times we think of God as this ultimate provider. Yes, He is, but that's not the complete picture. Many times we think of God, and that He, and that we just think that God wants His people to be good and nice and fair to each other, as it is taught in the Bible and all the other religions. And many times we just think that God wants us. Uh, and, and the thing that God wants from us and the central goal of life is for us to be happy and to feel good about ourselves and that God does not need to be particularly involved in our lives except, except when he is needed to resolve our problems. Uh, in fact, uh, one scholar, uh, one sociologist, this is what he writes, that this God, this God that I've just mentioned, um, it's not demanding. He, is actu he actually can't be since his job is to solve our problems and make people feel good. In short, God is something like a combination of a divine butler and a cosmic therapist, uh, like Dr. Phil. Uh, he is always on call, takes care of any problem that arises, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. But we know that God is much bigger than that. 
and that God is more than just self-improvement or that he's more than a counselor. Um, and that we have to understand, guys, that God is not offering us the good life or uh, a good moralistic life. In fact, instead, what God offers us is new life. And one thing I've come to realize thinking about that and during this process and the seasons that we go through as we dig through the dirt um, is that sooner or later, uh, we come face to face with who we really are. And it makes us truly understand who we are in front of God. Yeah, we have to recognize the fact, guys, that we are broken, that we have our baggages and we have our insecurities, but none of that will ever trump uh, the love of Christ. But as we confront our faults and our shortcomings, we must also accept that not only are we broken, but we are actually active participants of breaking others. Yeah, uh, simply put, we are sinners. And it's something that you and I don't like to hear or come to think of on a normal basis because um, it just makes us sound us uh, makes us sound a lot worse than who we think we are. But again, that is the truth. We are sinners, but that is not the whole truth. Uh, just as uh, we are offered to draw from the living water of Christ so that we may never thirst again. Uh, we must be reminded that this very water is also used to cleanse us from our sins. Now, looking at the Bible, uh, baths were readily available in temples, both in Jewish uh, and pagan religions and pagan uh, culture, uh, because one had to ser be ceremonially cleansed before entering their respective Holy of Holies. And that water was an agency where one cleansed themselves before they enter the holy places. And likewise, as we enter into the rivers of God's grace and love, uh, these running streams of water, these living water, they cleanse us. And we're able to swim in that grace. And that we're able to lie peacefully in that water and float in it. But the question has always been, uh, what are some spiritual practices in which uh, we can turn and we can undo our hurts and we could uh, dig through the dirt and unload our baggage and ultimately cleanse ourselves? Um, as I think about that, I, I think of Henry Nouwen. He's a great spiritual writer. Uh, he's been very effective in my spiritual formation. And this is what he has to say. Um, that one of the most beautiful things and beautiful ways for spiritual formation to take place is to let your insecurity lead you closer to the Lord. Natural hypersensitivity can become an asset. It makes you aware of your need to be with people and it allows you to be more willing to look at their needs. In a sense, you let uh, your psychological trembling become trembling of the Lord. And you use the insecurity of human relationships to develop a firm relationship with God. I think uh, going back to the story of my friend, um, as he shared about his need and his insatiable desire to validate himself as a man, um, 
he shared、uh, his story, and I just want to continue on. Actually, it was one of the most powerful testimonies I've heard.、Uh, perhaps it's because it was my actual friend, as opposed to some random stranger on the pulpit sharing his testimony. But what was amazing about his story was that his this、uh, was、um, what was amazing about his story was his spiritual practice、uh, to come to grips with his insecurity of lacking a father figure in his life.、Um, And he shared this,、uh, and he shared that it took years、uh, to finally own up to it and to、um, verbally say out loud what he wanted to say to his biological father. But、uh, the thing is, it was a spiritual practice that he wasn't able to do in front of his father、uh, physically, but instead he did it in front of、uh, the rest of his. His group that helped him process through and grieve through this process,、um, and so as he he shared that、um, there was a doll in place in front of him and in front of the group, and he would just、uh, go on just ranting and venting out all their hurts and all their frustrations that he had, and I remember him saying that he couldn't get the F word out and the F word being forgive. You know, he would continue to start off being all mad and angry, unloading all his hurts, and over and over and over again, he would come to the point where he would have to say, "But you know, I, but I forgive you. But yet I forgive you." But he kept falling short of saying that F word. I forgive you. And as he as he keeps trying and trying and saying that word.、Um, Tears will well up around his eyes, and he'll be sobbing. And he's he's sobbing, and he says, you know, as he gets more frustrated, he ends up saying the other f word, and he just he can't contain himself.、Um, but it took him、uh, much time to finally get the word out that he forgives、uh, his father, and that he accepts Christ to come into his life.、And、it was during that process. And during that time, when he was reminded that in fact there is a heavenly Father who calls him to come home, to rest in His shade and to drink from His well, and that as he dug through the dirt of his past, the, wa- the water that is God's irresistible grace and salvation will come and will gush through forth through the ground and surround him. And at first, as you can tell, this this process is pretty. Painful, and、uh, we don't want to do it. I think、um, I also think of another quote、uh, by Flannery、uh, O'Connor, who once said that all human nature vigorously resists grace because grace changes us, and that change is painful. This notion that grace is healing omits the fact that before it heals. It cuts with the sword、uh, Christ said He came to bring. But to understand grace, to understand what it means to be wholly abandoned to God, to swim in His river of grace, it also means that it needs to cleanse us. It's like the Dead Sea. All that sodium and all that salt in the water、uh, helps us not only float and swim in the water very peacefully, but that water. That seawater is also the agency in which we're able to walk into it with our scars,、uh, and it cleanses us, it purifies us, but it also stings and it hurts.
And at the end of the passage, um, when we look at it, uh, although uh, we don't read it in today's passage, the way that this passage ends is where Jesus tells her of her faults and her sins. But also, she comes to accept it and uses it for the greater glory of God. We see that she has, as she's trying to draw well uh, water from this well with a bucket, uh, to draw water, um, she sees a better water, a living water. It, it's this living water that she can't resist That uh, in telling other people that she actually drops the physical bucket that holds water to run to, back to her town to tell the people of this living water. And uh, as we close today, um, uh, let me close by repeating what I implored us to do earlier before um, that as he calls us to come home, and he calls us to come to him and drink from his well, and that we may be able to dwell with him and lie peacefully in his rivers of grace. Again, may you find peace knowing that Christ is offering you that same exact living water as he did to the Samaritan woman. And may our attitudes uh, be like that of the Samaritan woman, Uh, who said, Sir, uh, give me this water. So I just want us to take a time aside to really pray, to pray to God um, that, one, we are thankful that we are at a church that is a church for the broken, but that serves the broken and grows the broken, and that we are able to come to God's grace, and that we are able to just really Rest in that presence of God. So yeah, let's just take this time to pray, guys. Let us pray.